Welcome to Mind to Make episode 12. You got Jeremy Glenn with you as always. Stories are as old as the human race. And before we had the written word, we had oral traditions. And somehow the story has survived through all of that time through various forms of media and publication and in a variety of tellings. One story that I think is very much worth hearing is that of Toronto-based actor, director, producer, musician, and writer... Romeo Candido. And as you can tell from his titles, the man has done some serious work over the years. We're not messing around here. He's easily smashed the 10,000-hour rule in a number of fields, so it goes without saying that he's been around the block a few times and has some serious insight on being a professional creative person. But I don't want to tell his story, so I'll leave it at that for this week's introduction, and I'll let Romeo go on to explain it instead. Uh, So, without further ado, I bring you Romeo Candido on Mind to Make. Thank you so much for being here. I have Romeo Candido in the mind to make studio with me today yes thank you for coming in thank you for having me your career is very accomplished and i really really feel like people will get a lot out of what you have to say so i'm going to try to pull it out and i'm also very cognizant of your role in production at cbc so it's a little bit nervous for me because i feel yeah, like maybe so this... firstly stop shaking <laughs> stop trembling uh you're doing just fine i usually start off with a bit of a, an origin story okay just to get a to give people some context for how you arrived at the place that you are now. So please give me a little bit of a a background into what brought you into this world. Into which world? Into the art world. Into the art world. Um, Quickly for context, Mm -hmm. uh, I'm a Filipino Canadian. My parents came to Canada when uh, martial law was um, starting to become a thing there. And uh, the first port of entry they um, saw in the world outside of the Philippines was Canada, uh, Newfoundland specifically, because they, they had to fulfill some immigration policy. And I think why I mention that is because I feel like I've always been kind of out of step with you know, where I am. Mm-hmm. So Filipino kid in Newfoundland, in Flowers Grove, Newfoundland, then we moved to Kingston, Ontario, where again, just like feeling othered in a, in a small town in Ontario, I think gave me that a little bit of an outside perspective, always observing, mm. always kind of on the outside, but always fighting to claim some space. Okay. And I think growing up in Kingston, a, a lot of the ways that the Filipino parents wanted their kids to feel connected to their culture is we all had to do Filipino folk dancing. Okay. So my first taste of performance was very early, maybe in grade one, grade two, doing these cultural dances in these funny colorful cultural <laughs> outfits for like white people and and i think that was like my first taste of just performance and i think that informed everything because i've been doing things for the last how many ever years with somewhat of a cultural lens on my work as mm-hmm. a filipino mm-hmm. i wasn't a jock i wasn't like one of the cool painter art kids but the first place i gained any kind of status was I was really good at improv. I was really good at like doing funny, comedic, spontaneous bits in drama class. And that's kind of how I became known a little bit class clown. So that led into doing theater, musical theater specifically. My first musical theater thing was uh, as Chino in West Side Story. So nice, classic. um, Classic. So I got to kill the lead. Um, and (laughs) um, And then that opened up my dreams to... Uh, wanting to be in musical theater. Um, my first gig was at in Miss Saigon, which was at the time the biggest mm-hmm. theater show at the height of um, the mega musical. So I did that for a couple of years here in Toronto at the Princess of Wales Theater. And that was while I was failing out of university. Okay. Like I was failing out of theater school at York University. Okay. 
And uh, I auditioned for this thing out of 2,000 people auditioning, 36 were chosen. I was one of the people chosen. And then that became essentially my theater school where sure, I learned. Yeah. And, I, and all of those habits stuck, you know, if you're, what, what is it? If you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. If you're late, you're fired. Like right. that's kind of the beginning. Of, that's why I'm fairly punctual to things. I, I got top of the line training in dance in music i watched amazing directors direct mm. and then i saw uh incredible performers people who i had seen on stage as a high school theater nerd um they were in the same shows and so that show was it just gave me a almost a sense of entitlement like yeah I can be at the highest levels of industry. Yeah, to go from fail, <laughs> like to go from almost out of school to yeah, like... Yeah, failing at a, a York Theater School to getting this gig. And then, of course, the, the bumps and bruises of the industry happened after. Because I was 19 when I got into Miss Saigon. Okay. Thinking that this is what it is. Once yeah. you're professional, you're in there. Yeah. And the, the cachet of being part of this show was going to carry me into a life of being a professional, which not really. And so um, from that, me and a couple of um, other castmates, we formed an R&B band uh, called Kuya. At the time, I was really, we were all really into R&B. Okay. 90s R&B was yeah. our thing. Yeah. We kind of bonded singing an acapella shy song. Okay, like, yeah. You know that one? The, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I actually did something similar. Yeah. So, and, yeah. and then we're like, okay, well, there's nobody else. There's nobody in the industry that does this kind of thing. We were in a professional show. We got the interest of um, people in the industry. We recorded demos. This was another one of my kind of outlier experiences. We'd be like a Filipino R&B group. We would do open mics. Mm. Um, and this was kind of Toronto 1.0 urban music scene. This is the days of Mishimi and, yeah. uh, and uh Orrin Isaacs and the Basement Band and um Glenn Lewis, Widow yeah. Brown, like these yeah. this is before the Drake, before anything. And Yvonne Yvonne is I can't remember. Yvonne what right there. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. She, yeah, she she was in the mix and um and we would go and you know, I remember the first time we we were performing at the back of Cameron House. Oh Cameron so, House, yeah, yeah. Okay, so there were open mics at the Cameron House where this is where the urban music community would perform and Oren Isaacs at the time he took us there and I just remember you we heard from the crowd like what are these guys doing like we were not like it was a all black crowd and like the one white guy maybe one brown person and you know all of a sudden we come up dressing like Jodeci and we we felt this almost like this disbelief we we felt this collective kind of like what are these guys doing here and then um, as soon as we hit our first harmony, we just like hands in the air. Just nice. It's it's like when it's the same way people react to Bruno Mars, you yeah. know that kind of thing. It's like yeah. uh, what's gonna, like imagine Bruno Mars going to the Apollo and destroying. Yeah, it was the kind of same thing. And then that was another experience of kind of being outsiders, circumventing. Mm. Um, expectations or smashing expectations yeah. and then and then so we continued with that and you know i'm not an r&b singer i don't have the r&b aesthetic right in terms of lifestyle in terms of swagger in terms of whatever so eventually right. and i want to be a filmmaker by this okay. point okay. and i wanted to explore other things and so so i did the music thing for a while then i did a one-man show because i saw john leguizamo do do his one man show and I'm like I want to do that I yeah. want to tell yeah. the story of my of my own uh, experience that turned into my first feature film and so my first feature film was kind of one of those things where mm. there there's always ways to do things and I always do the things the wrong way or <laughs> kind of ass backwards that's okay. a little bit my thing so what's the context in this case like well when you do a feature film at the time it was film it was like legit film and the people who were doing film was very few you know people of color zero for filipinos none mm -hmm. ever and um i did a one-man show uh director said hey i'd like to turn this into a, a movie i did learned how to write a script not really but i wrote a bad script he eventually dropped out and then i said i'll direct it sure and i just wanted to direct 
because I wanted to be a performer. Mm -hmm. And so I did a feature film, which is backwards. It's like doing a full album without having done a demo. Yeah. Did a full feature film. I starred in it. I wrote it. I directed it. I sung in it. I edited it. You know, I did all the music for it. Just like the naivety of someone yeah. who's 20. Yeah. And but amazing at the time, because I don't, I don't know if everybody would recognize what would be involved in that process. Like, I, I don't, I can't remember what year. This is about 2000s, early 2000s? Yeah, 2002. Yeah. You know, I, I look at that guy and part of me is trying to return to that guy, trying to return to this guy who believed that all things were possible. Mm. And that was a guy who was faking it till he made it. He had no craft. He had no <laughs> technique. He had no real understanding of things, but he just had a lot of, a lot of ambition. And he really had something to prove because his first professional gig was at such a high level mm -hmm. that he was scrambling to achieve something or to feel the same kind of feeling feel the same kind of validation mm -hmm. and at the time it was like film festivals were starting to become a real cultural force and um and then i realized then that's when i realized that media like filmmaking or now television making or documentary it's almost like the full art form because you can work within any any platform to make it happen mm -hmm. you know art department editing writing like it's everything yeah it's, it's the for me it's the full art form and so so i've been hustling yeah, yeah. since then in all of the art forms that i embarked on Prior to you doing Miss Saigon, did you consider yourself an artist, quote unquote? Or? I wanted to be a performer. Yeah. You know, this, I think, back to my origin story, when you're brown in a white town and, you know, and people being like being called chink or mm. tacky or, you know, I was called like things that don't, that aren't, they didn't even have a slander for Filipinos, but I was called everything else. And I think having that embedded in me, I just wanted to be seen. So mm. performance was the way to be seen. Performance was the way to gain status. And so, so I just want to be a performer. Yeah. So, and like, whether it be in an R&B group, whether it be in a theater play, whatever, I just wanted to be seen. That, of course, has changed over the years. But that allowed you to sort of accumulate a whole skill set that otherwise maybe you wouldn't have done. I mean, if you didn't have that ambition, you may not have tried to yeah. go so far as to say, you know, because you wanted to be seen. Yeah. If the well, director pulled out, some people might just go, okay, I guess the movie's not being made Yeah, anymore. it's a wrap. Well, the thing is, because I didn't have anybody like me hmm. that I can look at as a template for my own potential path. Right. At least with John Logizamo, it's like, okay, here's a Latino dude telling his story so I can do that. Mm -hmm. But there was no director that I can go, hey, I can do that or I want to do that because uh, until maybe Spike Lee later yeah. on. Um, yeah. But, you know, when you're young and you're looking at what you can do, you look at things that are identifiable mm. to you and that you can copy. But, you know, what I'm doing now, being a multidisciplinarian did not exist back then. Yeah. Now we're now we're living in an age of YouTube and Tyler, the creators and Childish Gambinos and uh, you know, Janelle Monet's and um, and just different people who can do multiple art forms. But back mm -hmm. then, it's like if you want to be if you want to be a director, you're a director. If you yeah. want to be an actor, you're an actor. If you want to be a musician, you're a musician. But there weren't very many hyphenates mm -hmm. out there. So, do you think nowadays it's as simple as just deciding? That's it. I'm gonna be a I'm gonna be a creator. And whatever that entails, if it means that I have to be directing, I'm just, I'm interested in trying to figure out, like, how are you gathering those skills? Like, now you've been directing for how many years? Uh, I'd like to say 15 years. Now. Yeah. So clearly, like, in the same way that you said when you were in Miss Saigon, you sort of got that experience. As yeah. opposed to being in school, you got thrown in the deep end. Yeah. And you kind of collected all that experience. Yeah. Now you've got the experience of all those years yep. and working in, in directing. Mm -hmm. And I'm just curious to see, like, 
what would you say to the to the kid in the early 2000s like look look man well it's like at one point i would have told that maybe five years ago i would have told that kid that you need to learn your craft before you do it right but now now i would I, you know i would just tell that kid just keep fucking going because yeah. We're not all given the privileges of just getting to go to director school <laughs> yeah, or yeah. just getting to direct or just getting to sing or just getting to do whatever. And I think just kind of like the balls on the younger version of myself just to do it blindly. Now I'm too scared. Now I don't have the courage to do those things. But when you're young, you know, it's it's like Will Smith said, it's <laughs> like, you know, fail fast, fail lots. Yeah. Um, and and iterate and, and keep growing because I also do believe in this thing that there there are lines that the universe draws for you and you have to cross certain lines for the universe to 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 give you that next stage of whatever. And for some people who want to write a song or who want to write a script, they'll just tinker away at it but never finish it and yeah. never try and see it fully realized mm -hmm. and then they'll just be stuck. Yeah. They'll be stuck at demo stage. Yeah demo stage for whatever their art form is it's like you almost have to put it out there because i feel like once you put it out there for an audience to consume or for somebody to consume other than you and your friends then you can't claim to be that thing like i can't claim to be a filmmaker until i make a film and let people see it i can't claim to be a musician until or i can't claim to be a working musician until i make music and find some kind of revenue mm -hmm. in it. Like we could be musicians. Yeah. We could be hobbyists. We yeah. can be, but it's not until you actually make something that's a product that somebody can consume in some way that I think that's one of those lines that you have to, that need to be crossed in mm -hmm. order to become that. Exactly. And, and I feel like there are dues that be, need to be paid. And then I do believe in the 10,000 hour rule. So in being a multidisciplinarian, mm -hmm. right? The 10,000 hour rule does apply, but it, it applies in each of the skill sets and art forms. Like just because you do 10,000 hours as a musician, that's not fully uh, transferable to the other sure. skills that you want to do. Some of it can be yeah. like some of the time I've put into figuring out Pro Tools or Final Cut Pro, I could apply to Pro Tools yeah. because there's an editing uh, rhythm and then there's you know how to chop things up and this that the other thing so there are some of those hours in one of the skill sets that can be transferred to the other but you know i'm not no longer emerging as a human being mm -hmm. i have lived a lot of life but because i've been doing ten thousand hours in a multitude of art forms i feel like i've been emerging in all of them for yeah. a really long time i yeah. think Maybe directing is the one that I put in the hours. Like that's where I'm feeling confident. But as a writer, even as a musician, even as a producer, I feel like I've been accumulating those 10,000 hours in all of them. Yeah, at the same time. So I think the multidisciplinarian thing takes longer, but, um, but for me, it's fulfilling. But uh, but at the same time, it's kind of, I, and I think this is something I've read and or seen in what you've done, which is sort of like, that's the way it is now. So it's multi. Everything is kind of multidisciplinary, and like the 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 way in which we consume media is kind of all pervasive. Yeah. So having, but having, it, it's because the tools are available. Right. Yeah. Before the tools weren't available. Mm -hmm. If you want to be an editor, you're editing off of Avid. You're editing it off of like film thing you know what i mean like that wasn't a, a consumer-based um product mm -hmm. um even musicians like you remember like i remember i remember quarter inch tape you yeah. know like those were like big fancy machines yeah. and people had mixing boards yeah and yeah don't think of trying to make an album unless you have all of that hardware yeah you need so much you hardware so much like, stuff. and even with um makeup tutorial people they're learning camera they're learning editing and mm -hmm. then they learn all of their data management putting it up on the internet, putting titles on stuff. Like, so yeah, now I feel like now you have to know more than 
one mm. art form. Some people are privileged enough to be able to do the one thing mm -hmm. and kill mm -hmm. in the one thing, but they have the privilege to do it. Right. They get to go to a school. They have one stream. Mm -hmm. They, you know, like I was, I think all of my different skill sets happened because I was trying to pay the bills in whatever mm -hmm. would buy my groceries. Like I learned how to edit because I can edit for other people and edit their wedding videos. I learned yeah. how to shoot so I can do corporate videos. I learned how to do a little kind of shitty titling because it made a corporate video or a wedding video just look that much more mm -hmm. professional. But do you think that's still necessary? I mean, or do you think it's more necessary now to kind of be, to really dig in when you have the opportunity to do it, if you have an opportunity to do something or is it a, or is it more of a, a time or age kind of thing? I mean, for for me, you're in, in you're in a similar situation. You've got a kid now. Mm -hmm. Your time becomes a little less as mm -hmm. to what you can devote to to varied things. Mm -hmm. So if you have the opportunity, it's like try and take it. Would you make that? You know. Well, it's funny because currently I am in a place where I've done all of the art forms, and it's all led me to writing. Mm -hmm. It's all led me to this the most non tech non-multidisciplinarian i'm writing it's words on a page and that is like it's almost like it's all of the other art forms have facilitated me to get to this one art form how, how though what do you what do you mean by that? well it's like let's trace i want to be an actor so i learned how to write a show so i can act in the show and then i learned how to direct a film so i can be the actor in the thing and then i learned how to edit the thing so I can put the film together and then I learned how to do music because music was always a thing. But after two feature films, couple TV shows, if the writing's not there, then that you're giving an actor a piece of shit. You're giving the director a piece of shit. The editor has to figure out how to tell the story better. The sound design, you have to find ways. But if the it's not on the page off the top, then what story are you telling? Mm -hmm. I feel like by the end of it, I'm just a storyteller. Yeah. And I hate when people say that, but you know, everything I'm doing has a narrative, mm -hmm. including the music I'm doing with Datu. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we, we approach the songs or we approach a body of work. It's like, what are we saying as, as people? Or what are we saying in, in, in naming the group? Like everything has story for me. When I do programs like something I've been mentoring uh, with the Capisana and Philippine Arts Center for the last seven years. Um, and the first thing I tell the young people who come up through the Clutch and NAV programs, which is the, the young people programs, like I teach them story. Mm -hmm. Like I could teach them whatever, but story is the one I'm like, I think this is the one that you need to. Why though? What's so important about? Because right now with the amount of content and media to consume even like you know i'm one of these old guys who goes oh all new rap sounds the same but it's allowed to sound the same as long as the stories are unique you know what i mean people can do trap and the you know the that kind of triple flow or people are like i i just i just think that story is the differentiator i think story is the thing that all artists have ownership of and that's the one thing that can make them unique Mm -hmm. Like I can do a song, you can find another song like that, or I can uh, direct uh, imagery, you can find something else that looks like that. Mm -hmm. But with story, I can if I tell my story, no one will have the exact same story, but mm -hmm. they'll have bits of my story that and their own narrative that that are the same. And so, so it's really like a connection. Yeah, I think yeah. it's so funny because. I talk about Anthony Bourdain a lot, but even Anthony Bourdain finds the story of people through food. Like yeah. food has the story. Yeah. And I, I just think now that I'm in my writing mode, I just feel like there is the oral story. Like right now as, as a podcast, this is probably the, or like, this is the first storytelling is just a person to another person mm -hmm. over fizzy water <laughs> <laughs> and in a condo in the beginning of the time when cavemen, uh, told their tales of the hunt it was over fizzy water in a condo. you know but like if we weren't documenting it yeah it doesn't it doesn't exist past this yeah and so um in writing i just feel like all of the art forms led to this one mm -hmm. and being able to document or to articulate or to roadmap different stories mm -hmm.
I guess it is, it's a, like you're saying, it is the shared cultural experience yeah. across all of our time as, you know, as humans. Mm -hmm. How do we pass on information from generation to generation? Mm -hmm. and generally, it's been done through storytelling. It's um, So it's probably ingrained in our DNA to some degree. I think it's, it's in, like, it's in yeah. our DNA. And it's like, the, the project I'm working on right now is a Netflix sci-fi show. And then in our research, we're looking at, it's so cool because you, like I'm a I'm a like as you see I'm wearing a Star Wars shirt like I'm a I'm a I'm a bit of a nerd for that but um there is SETI which is a search for extraterrestrial intelligence and then there's Medi there's the messen like messages messaging extraterrestrial, extraterrestrial intelligence, intelligence it's yeah. like yeah we could search for them but if we have nothing to say to them what is it so yeah. so part of the the things that are being sent out would be you know music and mm -hmm. and imagery and like the story of humans mm -hmm. you know what i mean like all of the different art forms and all of the from math to poetry to painting to music it kind of tells the story of who we are as people mm -hmm. and uh you know anyways i'm i'm neck deep in it because i have a my first deadline on sunday to deliver a draft and so i'm a little bit Maybe that's why I'm all about story, story, story. But, you know, next week yeah. when I'm working on a Dantu thing, then it's all oh, music is the yeah. connector, connector of all people. Of all people. Speaking of music, mm -hmm. do you want to talk a bit about Datu, what the genesis of Datu was and why you, why you got back into music after doing, yeah. you know? Yeah. Well, music is one of, music like theater is one of those things where I love it, breaks my heart, or I love it, it cheats on me, or <laughs> I, I love it, it betrays me. But uh, I gotta, you know, I gotta talk about my partner, Alexander Punzalan. Um, what's his other name? Alex. Jr. We always call him Jr. Alexander. Yeah. The it's just you know finding a, a a musical partner is actually like finding like a kindred spirit. Mm. Um, it's like finding like you're making music babies. You know, it's like I and I just when I first met him, I just saw something in his energy that reminded me of that younger version of me who saw the world as possibility. Yeah, you know, and I just think musically he's quite brilliant mm -hmm. and we just bonded over our shared interest and passion over indigenous filipino instruments so i grew up as i said i grew up doing filipino folk dancing and so i had all the instruments in my basement mm. i was like you know in in the in in deep kingston suburbia in our basement <laughs> we had there were like instruments from from like vintage gongs to bamboo rattles to uh, what we play, they're called kulintang, which is like a pentatonic brass percussive instrument that's amazing. Akin to that's like, amazing. It's akin to like a xylophone, but not the Western scale. And so he, I remember on his first, what we call the Balik Bayan trip. Balik means return, Bayan means people. And so when a Filipino from the diaspora returns to the homeland for the first time or for any time we're Balakbayan we we go back we're a returning people mm. and so I remember when he went on his big Philippines Balakbayan trip and he came back with gongs and he went to Mindanao he got that thing that I got where yeah we're Filipino in Canada but we're Canadian but then we would go to the Philippines we're Canadians in the Philipp we're and we were in our hybridity and then going back to canada we're transformed our mm -hmm. molecules have been infused with the place from which we have come and so um when he came back he came back with gongs um i've always been playing gongs we discovered we could play the gongs on top of music then we discovered we could sing in these keys and then we've been doing it for a while like we're like the oldest emerging group in some of the <laughs> jams that we play you know like People put us on a lineup for a CMW or uh, Long Winter, and I'm like, "What do you mean our set time is at 1:30 in the morning? <laughs> yeah, what exactly. the fuck? I gotta We're be up at dads. five. Yeah, exactly. Um, but we've been doing it for a while, and it's never. We've had dreams of doing, you know, doing big festivals and this, but it's just one of those things where 
there's something primal about hitting gongs mm. with the tones of those gongs resonating with our body chemistry. Mm-hmm. Uh, singing with these things. There's just something to it that I'm experiencing with Datu that I didn't experience with Kuya, that I didn't experience with Prison Dancer, the musical that you did a remix for. Um, that I didn't experience in other music forms. And so Datu means uh, chieftain, like a tribal chieftain. And, um, you know, me and Alex have been doing it for, I think, seven years now. Mm-hmm. Um, initially, just like kind of instrumentals on beats. And then we started s- doing kind of covers. And then now we're doing songs. And then we released our first album called High Blood. High Blood implying both royalty and the pressure like just yeah, like yeah. <laughs> hypertension runs rampant in the Latino <laughs> community and um and then we you know we're working on our next collection of songs and you know because it has its own sound it because it's different because it's all it's authentic mm-hmm. you know we've been validated you, uh, you know we got we've got a couple of sinks you know like zara used it for their men's fat fall line amazing and different tv shows um we're invited to 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 play shows and cultural events. It's one of those things. My son, who's five, the other day when he was asked what he wants to be when he grows up, he goes, "You know, I want to be a fireman. I want to be an inventor. But most importantly, when my dad dies, I want to take over his job and be a musician." <laughs> it's like, okay, there's some legacy <laughs> building over there, and I and I think that's um for for somebody who grew up and who didn't quite have those kind of ambitions because i didn't have those references it's interesting to see that that my son would want to do mm-hmm. something that to it's going to mm-hmm. probably change he's going to probably think it's nerdy in the next couple of years but um but for now i just think it's cool that there's nothing about his culture that gives him a, any sense of shame or a feeling yeah. of outsiderness you're before your time you are where you Stars, what you doing here with me? Now you can never leave. I lost my way. Do you think that there's been any kind of transition since when you started to now that there is more acceptance? Is it just that there's a larger community to support what you're doing, or do you feel as though I think YouTube? I YouTube. think I think I think um, digital media has. Before I had to like before a lot of my work I had to explain what the fuck being Filipino was. Nice. I feel like I've been it's still now, but I feel like I've been standing on this soapbox for twenty five years. Mm-hmm. I've been telling people that I'm not Chinese or I'm or I'm not Southeast Asian, that I'm not Hawaiian, that I'm Filipino, mm-hmm. and um, I think we've had a couple of cultural wins in the world. I think we've had the Manny Pacquiao's, a little bit of the Bruno Mars, but we're, we're still kind of like the people behind the people Mm -hmm. still Mm -hmm. Uh, i think that the filipino toronto movement has has had a bunch of kind of more global diaspora wins i think there's support but what does support mean does that mean a a view on youtube or does it mean like are people buying it like Mm. i you know so you know that's a bigger art question it's like is support a view or a support yeah, buying yeah. and helping buy groceries. But I think the awareness of what Filipino is, is out there. But in my, when I first started out, it wasn't out there at all. We were just happy. To, I was happy to be playing Vietnamese, yeah. <laughs> you know, like I wasn't playing Filipino and Miss Saigon, you know, I was playing Vietnamese. Um, I'm still, I still yearn for the great filipino musical i st- still yearn for the big well, when are you gonna write it well you know um <laughs> prison dancer is actually being restaged later on let's talk year. a bit about prison dancer because that was another and it's another thing too that i think is cool uh, and i think is interesting from taking something which originated through youtube mm-hmm. and you translated into a theatrical production mm-hmm. and then then sort of retranslated into something to a web, for the web, to a web, to a web series. series, and then re-retranslated it back to theater. So, Prison Dancer was one of the first big viral hits. Yeah, when fifty million views meant something mm-hmm. on YouTube, and I remember when I saw 
when I saw the dancing inmates of Cebu, I just saw this thing. I, I just saw this thing that was being passed around by non-Filipinos. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, what an amazing phenomenon. It's so Filipino. Filipinos, you know, sociopolitically, economically, climate, the Philippines and the people of the Philippines are being oppressed from every religion, like from every different side. The Filipinos are having to to fight through life and i think it gives us our sense of humor i think it gives us our sense of joy i get i think it gives us our our need for artistic expression hmm. so when i saw these inmates dancing to michael jackson's thriller so many of those things checked all the boxes for me it's like i love everything <laughs> you know i love the story of redemption i love the i love the trans dancers i love that it's michael jackson I love this weird warden who looks super macho, but is using this as a, an outlet. I, and, and I love the fact that it, it was connecting with a global audience. And But part of me felt defensive about it. I, don't, I didn't want people to just laugh at our people. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's part of me that looks at all Filipinos like I am part of the same uh, organism. I'm the part, part of the same molecule. And mm-hmm. I just saw people laughing at it as opposed to with it and then i just kind of wanted to tell well there are stories behind there are sad stories there are tragic stories there are there are stories behind the dancing and so i just thought this is a great this would be and i just saw the show in the heights from lin-manuel miranda who, okay. who is now mainstream with hamilton mm-hmm. and but at the time he just wrote this latino show again the latino performers inspiring yeah yeah because you know they've been colonized by the spanish they have that same juju and i i remember seeing um in the heights going oh because after miss saigon i wanted nothing to do with musical theater i didn't want to be defined by it i didn't want to i i didn't like the art form as an art form i just felt it was retro throwback problematic um but then i saw in the heights and then i saw how musicals can tell the story of a people can be authentic, can move me, can be funky, can be cool, can be lyrical. I go, okay, I believe in musical theater again. And then when Prison Dancer came around, it was bubbling. I wanted to do something, but I didn't know what. And then I'm like, why don't, why not try going back to the art form that gave me my professional debut? And I go, and what was interesting about Prison Dancer is like, I don't have to educate people on what the fuck being (laughs) Filipino is. People know about it because they saw the YouTube. I, there's, there's no heavy lifting of this is what a Filipino is. What we're not. What we, you know. I, I just thought, here's something. And why do I like musicals? Because I like the song and dance. Everything about a prison. You know, Shawshank Redemption is one of my favorite movies. Yeah. Oz is one of my favorite TV shows. So yeah. there's always stakes, always drama. And I just thought there would be something powerful about seeing a bunch of Filipino performers, men doing something synchronized Mm -hmm. and powerful and you know every iteration of it has has been successful and it's now it's just the game of how do you monetize something that has a big cast yeah and that's not a already established property and um so when you decided to once you'd had the run in mm -hmm. toronto did the new york happen after the web series yeah so um we did uh a couple of workshops in toronto then we got money um, and we did a um, a web series. And I'd like to say we were the first interactive web musical ever. I think, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, we've had, we had a couple of viral hits from it. And then we applied for the New York Musical Festival, which is uh, a breeding ground of the next big hot show. We got in. I think we were the first Filipino show to be in that festival. And, and then I got to work with all of these amazing triple threat, Broadway caliber beasts like these performers who were able to take the stuff and elevate it. You know, all of our shows were sold out. All of our shows were standing ovations. The old Asian guard, the new Asian guard saw it. I think the the universal appeal was evident. And then, you know, we had like producers approach us, you know, the the kind of broadway impresarios that twirled their mustaches like mm-hmm. though you know so we we signed with with that and so 
doing a musical, these are expensive things. It costs mm-hmm. a million dollars to put up a show. And um, so um, it'll be restaged this fall. And yeah, so it's like musicals, I think, is another one of those art forms where it's almost an everything art form. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's music, it's song, it's dance, it's acting, it's production design. Directing this new cast now, you did you feel like you kind of had to elevate your game a little bit as a director? Well, in New York, we um, worked with a woman named Jen Rapp who does musicals. Like there I was just a book writer and composer. Okay. This is where I didn't have to do the everything. Right. You know, we had a director and choreographer. We had an assistant choreographer. You know, like this is where it's just like, okay, just work on the book and then just work on the work on the music. And then where I where my directing did come in was because there's so many things to do it in such a short amount of time. I became the acting coach and I mm. worked with all of the actors finding their motivations because that's you know i have a theater background it's just something that's in me and um i don't know it's up up to now there's just something about watching something that you're working on by yourself at home on stage in a different country with people that who are not your friends and family initially like these are working professionals Uh and there's just something really satisfying about that experience in a way that like Miss Saigon with all of its bells and whistles will never touch Mm -hmm. because that's not of me. That's not mine. That's not my story. And even though prison dancers a little bit like me looking at something culturally that happened in the Philippines, like I don't have that experience. I did not go to jail. I am not from the Philippines. I am not from the squatter area in the Philippines. I'm like, I recognize all of my privilege in it, but in each of the characters, I infused as much as I could in mm-hmm. it. You know, it's like the main theme of prison dancers, like what are the things that imprison us and what are the things that we need to, to acknowledge and address to be free of that. Mm-hmm. You don't need a prison to be imprisoned, mm-hmm. you know, in, in a certain way. And so that's kind of like how I was able to find a connecting point with these people. Is it, I'm, you know, I don't know how to tell somebody I love them. I don't know how to free myself of my anger from my you know of my father is it i don't know what to believe in in terms of my spirituality these are all things that Mm. personally i've gone through and that i've infused in these characters Mm -hmm. in a filipino jail There's a something that you wrote in this article talking about the 25 years since uh, you did Miss Saigon, and you you talk about the protests that were happening outside the theater <laughs> yes. at the time, mm-hmm. and how you know people were upset with the ways in which some of the Vietnamese characters were being portrayed. Mm-hmm. And you had said, and I'm sort of paraphrasing here, but you essentially said you're not sure that you would have been in the show where you where you are now you probably would have been outside with some of the protesters and you know you said you you, you met some of the protesters since that time mm-hmm. one of my favorite uh artists one of my favorite doc or, well documentary films is fella Kuti's music is the weapon okay he's very pointed about this idea that music should be used for the good of humanity if you Mm -hmm. have the gift if you're given this gift of being able to perform Mm -hmm. that you need to use it Mm -hmm. for the good of humanity you need to be political about it do you Mm -hmm. think that there's a necessity for art to be political and inherent or is it inherent in certain it's only inherent in certain topics or do you think like because at the i think the other thing you said is you're not sure like at the time you you felt good about your place in the show but now you're not sure that that's enough and do you think that it's 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 like in this day and age when there is so much content there's so much you know quote-unquote art being made do you think that you know true art is really that which deals with something that can be interpreted politically i think it's not necessarily true art but it's art that if when we're talking to the aliens and we're trying to tell them you know who we are at this point what would be what would we, we be sending to mm. them? Would like would, and but I and I think we would actually be sending both. Yeah, I we would be sending something that's just pure entertainment, mm-hmm. 
that has nothing to do with political views. And then we would send them something deeply political to tell them what the climate of the world is. I This is something I always talk about with um, other musicians about writing a pop song. Mm -hmm. It's like, yeah, I just want, you know, writing pop, you know, it doesn't, they don't think it's like a legit thing to write one of these top 40 songs. Here's where, where all of my views of that kind of shit. Okay, great. Let's get to it. Simple plan. Yes. From Ottawa, from Hull, like one of, for me, a generic Canadian kind of nothing rock band makes love dove songs like that I could not give two shits about when they played in the Philippines and I saw all the Filipinos who've had fucking hard days who worked yeah. the hard, who a hard job knowing every lyric to a simple plan song and then singing and connecting with this group from Ottawa yeah you know and they had that just shitty banter why are all the most hottest chicks from Medina well just like stupid fuck you guys yeah Fuck your music. Fuck your face. But then I saw all of these people singing along. Just pop songs. Yeah. And seeing how universal it was. And just seeing how simplistic. Because English has a second language in the Philippines. Mm. And then singing really basic, simple pop. And connecting. And it's in mass. Like this was a lot of people. And for that for those minutes that these people got to escape the reality, sing along and know the words mm -hmm. to this band with asymmetrical haircuts and bangs from Ottawa made me realize that pop is this universal thing. Pop mm -hmm. is like, you know, at the end of the day, when we're singing about music or we're watching a movie, it's, it's about love. It's about mm -hmm. death. Yeah. It's about life. It's basic. Like there are only, so many topics that are truly universal mm -hmm. to us and um so even entertainment you know it's i'm at an age where you know i just lost my mom and i've just i'm in i'm in the throes of kind of like figuring out who i am mm -hmm. right and i've had a couple of dark years it's like i want joy yeah and sometimes the joy comes from just escaping reality listening to a three-minute pop song from simple plan or watching a three minute music video that's just like dancing like a k-pop video there's nothing political <laughs> about some of these amazing <laughs> colorful k-pop videos yeah but it's entertaining as but hell. it's entertaining and it gives me a second of joy and it yeah. gives me a second of life gives me a second of brevity um so i do believe as an artist but then Romeo Candido starts talking and with Datu, like we just released a video on Chinese New Year where we're we're addressing the uh, extrajudicial killings in the Philippines where we're taking the president of the Philippines, uh, Duterte, who has called the war on drugs and, you know, people are dying in the streets of the Philippines because of this war. And we address it. But we also made a song called The Hollow Hollow Man where it's just about you want to dance and sing and move around and escape. So I think with art, you need both. Like, I'm all about what Fela Kuti said. Like, I think, you know, I don't want a career where I'm making music and something I make doesn't resonate with somebody on a deep level. Because mm -hmm. right now with the content, yeah, this superficial music, you'll sing it for a week and then it's gone the next week because another song has taken its place. Or you hear a song and it stays with you because it hits you in your core and then it stays with you forever. Mm -hmm. You know, as an artist, it's like, what kind of impact do I want to create? And I think that's why even with musicals, that's when I was realizing when I'm in a theater and I'm watching a musical and voice and movement and dance, like, I don't remember anything from in the Heights, but I do remember what it made me feel mm. when, when I left it. Like Hamilton, I saw Hamilton I don't remember a single song, <laughs> but I remember the feeling. Yeah. Um, and you could almost say In the Heights propelled you in a set where it's some of that gave you some inspiration to do other work. Yeah. And so even that in itself is enough. That's enough, you know. Um, but then but then there's some stupid pop songs like before four is like, if you go down on me, yeah, I'll yeah, get... Yeah. 
like it's the stupidest song, but it stays with me. Yeah, yeah. Every once in a while, I'll sing it to be an asshole, and it makes me laugh. So I don't know. Does that mean that it's not impactful? Yeah. Even though I hate those people yeah. and I hate their faces and yeah. I hate that song, <laughs> but you know, I don't. It's know. maybe it's more of a. It's a. It's more ex- trying to examine what being political means as opposed to you yeah. know this. If if you're bringing joy to a number like mass on masses of people. Who are living, you know, not necessarily joyless lives, but mm-hmm. certainly a lot of their joy is sucked sure. out of them. Yeah, giving them that, giving them some hope, is a huge thing, right? Yeah, and and I think at the end of the day, man, all art is just like an escape for people. You know, like it's almost like it's a way for them to leave their own lives and either connect with the greater organism of humanity or just escape their own thing. What amazes me about young people is, I don't know, it's like they've been given the permission, in a sense, and through a lot of these media forms to just be like, yeah, just express yourself. Mm-hmm. Be creative, create mm-hmm. something, make a channel, mm-hmm. connect a bunch of people together. Mm-hmm. And they're just they're just fully going for it. Mm-hmm. And um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was somebody that is creating content on a, on a daily basis. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I've looked at a lot of the work that you, you've, put together for CBC Arts. It's amazing. It's mm-hmm. a div- extremely diverse Thank group you. of people. Mm-hmm. I was really blown away by the 12-year-old sculptor. I thought mm-hmm. that was a phenomenal story. Mm-hmm. But given the number of sort of media sources and the, I guess, kind of the inherent, it's, it's almost like you can't escape things like social media. Mm-hmm. You, no way. And, and it's, all, it's all becoming sort of one amalgamation of, of media. Mm-hmm. Now that you have a son, mm-hmm. are you thinking about mm-hmm. his place and all of that? And like whether, you know, because when I watch my son watching TV, which is a basically a direct reflection of me, for I can sure. remember me just uh, like drooling yep. or just uh, watching this thing. And I'm kind of going, I want some balance here. Like how, you know, we're reading books as often as possible so that we can kind of expose him to a non-screen version sure. of reality. Yep. And, but it seems as though that virtual reality is is taking greater precedent in a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. So when you're putting all that stuff together, do you, do you have those kinds of considerations? Yeah, right now, you know, before I wanted to be edgy, mm-hmm. right? All of the, when I was doing my own music, I just want to like be a bit edgy. When I was writing content, I would just want to be edgy. Now I'm just kind of looking at trying to make stuff for younger people. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's, it's weird because it, I think the, the the general way is young people think that old people don't know what the hell's going on, right? I for sure <laughs> yeah. subscribe to that belief. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure at some point Rizal is gonna be like, you don't know what the fuck you're talking about. Yeah. You don't know my reality. You don't know this. But I do wanna find a way to I wanna make the work that he'll like. Mm-hmm. You know, that's why I love that he loves Datu. Like for me, that's my greatest artistic achievement at this point is he loves Dottu's that he wants music. to fill in your spot and be that yeah guy. which is a new thing but prior he just sees daddy performing hitting gongs and like he all of the times that he's seen it he it there's impact there yeah like, there, it it resonates with him and even with the cbc art stuff like can we talk about cbc arts yes, real please. quick Let's while, talk about while we're at it yeah um so when I started working at CBC, um, they were relaunching CBC Arts and Carolyn Hugh. It was one of those things where I just got a weird Facebook message. What are you doing nowadays? And at the time I had been, I'd been laid off from Bell where I was working with Bunch Music and this and that. And at the time I was like designing escape games, funnily enough. I okay. was just, the, you know, making escape room experiences. And, uh, and then I got a call from Carolyn Hugh, who is a mentor and friend. And she goes, what are you doing? I'm like, you know, I'm kind of making music with DaTube, kind of just freelance artist starting to sweat because the EI was going to come to a conclusion very soon. And then she goes, well, come on in. And, you know, in the job interviews and a lot, it was a time where there was a lot of, there were not a lot of jobs in traditional media, mm-hmm. like in and so a lot of people interviewed for the job, but 
this is kind of where my multidisciplinarian mm. background and my 10,000 hours in every single art form really came to play. And yeah. then they want to launch a new vertical at CBC to highlight arts across Canada. And what was good about my background is I package shows with traditional media, but I was in it. I'm making, I'm an, uh, like I was making, and then I showed them my, the music video for Datu, where it was a combination of Filipino folk dancing as performed by a group called Hatao, Filipino gong playing. And, you know, it's like, this is, and, and, th and that was part of my philosophy. I go, I think the best Canadian art is the art that's being made in the margins. And I feel like if we own that space, if we own all the, all of the, the work in the margins, then we can change what the center is. Because, you know, even when I think about CBC music, I still think just kind of singer songwriter, like white people, you know, like they'll, they'll invite people in, but I feel the core of what CBC music hasn't changed. But when people look at CBC arts, hmm. our core is diversity. Mm -hmm. We like indigenous, uh, LGBTQ, and people of color. So when people look at our stuff, it's not like we got one of the pieces of hate mail that for me is a badge of honor where it says like, you know, when are you going to show some white people? When are you going to show some white men? Uh, you know, all I see is indigenous and gay and black and, and, and trans. And when am I going to see some white men? I'm like, if you feel like we show white, men yes in cbc arts that's but when i feel like the visibility of what has not been visible this whole time mm -hmm. is the thing that people are seeing then i'm just like we we're doing it yeah. you know like we we want to be disruptive we want to be diverse we want to be digital and i feel like we're hitting the three d's um <laughs> and i feel like in my last three years i think we've produced you know i've help produce maybe over 400 short docs on artists in Canada. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like sometimes, you know, somebody asked, you know, do you think we're going to run out? I'm like, we're never going to run out. There are so many artists in Canada. There are so many young people mm -hmm. picking an art form, doing it differently and wanting to say something about their experience. We are never going to run out. Like if, CBC mothership wants to not give us money yeah. and wants to change our mandates, then fine. But, you know, we're looking at the older institution struggle or have to change and have to adapt to bring in younger audiences, connect with diverse people. But I just feel like our pocket right now, and even in the building, I feel like the CBC gets a lot of slack for not necessarily always reflecting the greater Canada experience, mm -hmm. but I feel like at CBC Arts, we're doing a pretty good job with that. And yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I'm really happy to be part of that team. In line with that, in line with what you mentioned about you guys running out, got to get a job, got to get a gig. <laughs> this is like, you know, part of what I wanted to do with this podcast was give a bit of motivation to people who, and this is, I was in a similar situation. I don't know if I want to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm like considering other options, mm -hmm. and uh, but it's what, I love to do mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I want to connect with people. Mm -hmm. And that was really the impetus for, for doing it mm -hmm. was this sort of exchange. Yes. Um, but how do you do it when, you know, what, why are you still doing it? What, what, you know, when you're just like, Oh my God, I can't fucking, this is like, <laughs> yeah, no, most every day, <laughs> every day. Yeah. Right. Every day, you know, when yeah. before a Datu show and we're lugging up, cases of gongs and we have to like set up somewhere i'm like why the fuck do we do it and then and when does the moment change to it's like when ah, we're playing when yeah, we're making music yeah. you know i remember i ran into um i remember in chicago running into a man who i thought was a baker who ended up being one of the grandmasters of filipino martial arts and i was like i think i was carrying a suitcase of gongs i'm and I just needed to vent to someone. He had long hair. He has a mustache. He basically looks like he's a, he could have been a baker. And I'm like, why do I do this cultural work? And then he just goes, because it makes us feel alive. Yeah. Period. Yeah. And I thought he was a baker. But then, <laughs> and then later on, I ended up seeing that he was like, people called him GM because it's short for Grand Master. Like, this is a guy who um, does this. He who's He's 62. He's still teaching Filipino martial arts. And, and I think... The why is doing the art is our Fantana youth. 
Mm. I think, you know, I think house music keeps you young. Like, yeah, yeah. I, I think, I think the, the beats that you make and that, that the, the blood that it pumps through your heart. And I, and I, I just feel like the art is what keeps me alive. And mm -hmm. so for me, I'm only starting to get the entitlement where it's like, well, the art needs to be paying me yeah. for what I'm worth. Yeah. But I feel like we almost have to put that sweat equity into the art to prove that we are worthy of the other part of it, mm -hmm. worthy of being paid for it. Um, I think that's one of those thresholds that you have to pass. It's like, okay, are you serious? Because everybody wants to do it. Yeah. Who wouldn't want to fucking bang on gongs all day sure. and get paid for yeah. it? Yeah. Or, or, you know, make alien TV shows, you know, like who wouldn't, but there's, there's things that you have to do. And I, for me, it's like, when I talk to younger artists, it's like, well, how can I do it? How can I do it professionally? It's like, you have to find a job. Like yeah. there is no escaping finding a job. And what separates the hobbyists from the artists is how much of the work outside of your job are you willing to do? Like, mm -hmm. I remember I was part of a, this, diverse screenwriting program that Bell and the WGC put on. And eight writers were chosen. One writer gets an internship in a room based on uh, a couple of original um, scripts that you write. And um, I remember being in the room and everybody's like, you know, like, what, what do you want out of this program? You know, I want to learn how to write. I want friendships. I'm like, I want that fucking internship. <laughs> yeah. But at the time I had CBC, I was designing escape games and I'm a parent of a child who is allergic to everything. So every single thing that he puts in his mouth has to be cooked. Right. Um, so I was writing at five in the morning to seven in the morning. Everybody wakes up, blah, 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 go to work, do my other job. Then writing at 11 at night to one in the morning every day for, I, I would like to say 16 weeks. Yeah. Right. And then that script that I wrote three years ago, in that hustle time, I, I landed the internship, but it didn't work out because I had a job. But that same script that I wrote three years ago, somehow in, like I bled for that. Like I literally got a kidney stone after that experience okay. because I was, I wrote, I killed. And writing, it's weird because it's like, it's, it's a different kind of energy that's being like, it's an energy where you're like looking in the air and you're waiting to get catch a wave of flow like mm -hmm. for me it's like but that script from three years ago somehow found its way to the desk of one of canada's most successful showrunners a showrunner is the person who runs a tv writing room who basically they're the boss of, of a television show the script from three years ago found its way to the lap of this showrunner who i've never met who was getting submissions from all the writers in the city because he was going to work on a sci-fi Netflix show. And for some reason, the work that I did in these crazy hours mm. of five to seven, 11 to one, three years ago, that ended up manifesting and yeah. coming back. But it's like, but it's the work that you do when you're not paying the bills, yeah. I think makes a difference yeah. between people who are hobbyists and people who get to do it yeah so just do it just do it and you have to do it and it has to be part of the discipline yeah it's like you know i wish i had the same discipline to do cardio and to um you know do chin-ups but my discipline is in the art it's like if you don't do it every day um and if it's not just in your habits then you're competing against people who have the luxuries and privileges yeah. of just doing the one thing. yeah yeah. And not having kids and not have like, these are the people who, who might have, <clears throat> who might come from a, a economic position where they get to just go to school yeah. and they get to just write things and they get to just, you know, they don't have to do the other hustles, but, um, but for those of us who do have to do the hustles and if anyone's listening going, oh, it's so hard. It's yeah, it's hard. It's, it's hard, but you know, there's no reason by a Filipino who was born in Newfoundland, grew up in Kingston, Ontario, who's doing Filipino folk dancing, should be working on a big sci-fi Netflix show today. There's no, there's no, there's no straight line from that origin story to what's happening today. Yeah. And you know, today I am in post audio for 
a television show I directed called Second Gen, which is about Asian girl, Filipino girl getting their first apartment. I do that. Then um, I work on the on the script that I have a deadline on Sunday. Then I go to dot to rehearsal yeah. this evening. Like today is an embodiment of a lot of hours of work where nothing was really happening. Yeah, where, like there was no, there was no deadline. There was no real goal. It just the work just needed to be done on some yeah. karmic level. And then today is a day where I get to do a three job day, and they're all dream jobs. Yeah, one is the coolest band I've ever been in. One is uh, I got to direct my first, you know, television series for a network, and it's a comedy with a Filipino lead and creator. And then one is a sci-fi show that yeah. fulfills my Star Wars T-shirt that yeah. I'm working on. Yeah, right now. So you're living the dream, but not without all. I don't of know the if it's caveat. the dream, but like <laughs> because the dream always changes. Sure. The dream always yeah. like moves. The dream is always outside of our grasp. Mm -hmm. I think that's what the dream is. Right, that's right. the nature of dreams. Is yeah. It's just always outside of our grasp. But like, if the guy who just left Miss Saigon going, I don't want to do theater about another culture. If this guy was able to talk to that guy going, you know what you're going to get to fucking do? You know, after a lot of, you know, wanting to give up, you're going to get to do this kind of, you're going to have a day where you get to work on these three projects. You know, that would be enough, yeah. you know, if he could see if he could jump time like that mm -hmm. um so yeah it's the dream of that guy yeah it's a dream beyond that guy's even scope yeah the dream now is like it's beyond what i dreamt of but the dreams the dream changes yeah well thank you for sharing your story with me and whoever else is listening out whoever there else is listening. thank you yeah thanks so much man i so appreciate it you. If you like what you heard on the show today and would like to support it, I'd you to go to my Patreon page and become a patron. Patrons will get access to exclusive content and can help decide which guests come on the show and what I ask them, as well as other rewards along the way. Support bigger and better in many ways. There'll be a page on both the Mind to Make website at www.mindtomake.com, as well as in the show notes in the description for the podcast. Thanks again so much for listening, and please tune in next time.